going on, everybody? It's your buddy. It's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE. Now, if you're listening to this on Monday, I will I will tell you to go back one episode because my episode of uh, Collision Review is also dropping this morning, so make sure you check that out as well. So what do we have? We have all the fallout from uh, from Money in the Bank. We have the return of Drew McIntyre. We have the continuing disintegration of the of the bloodline. We have the you know Imperium beating the shit out of Matt Riddle. We have two new Mr. and Mrs. Money. Oh, sorry, I should say Mrs. and Senior Money in the Bank in Eosky and Damian Priest. And the question is, what's next now? It is a little bit detached, because the last thing we saw at Money in the Bank obviously was the Bloodline thing, and you go into Raw knowing pretty much that the the next time you're going to see the Bloodline stuff is on Friday on SmackDown. So Monday, feel even though there's a lot of stuff that went down and we're going to talk about it, it feels like a big speed bump to Friday, and don't worry, we're going to get to that as well. But the one thing we did know, and it was advertised before this week's Monday Night Raw, was that on Friday Night SmackDown, the... Um, the Usos were going to put Roman Reigns on tribal trial like he did to Sami Zayn not too long ago, looping that back in, etc. Now, I will say, as a spoiler for the SmackDown review, I really thought that they were going to loop Sami Zayn into the, the trial of Roman Reigns, and that never happened, and that's a big... If they don't do it now or soon, it's a big missed opportunity. I won't say it's a big missed opportunity yet, because this is like... You should have done it, you didn't do it, SummerSlam's still a couple weeks away, we can do it, it's fine. But, we started off Monday Night Raw with, obviously, the World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins coming out. He gets his spotlight, he gets his serenade, he does the call and response, the I am the visionary, I am the revolutionary, I am Seth freaking Rollins. And then he does what a lot of people don't like, which is the... Uh, you know, whoever's the champion, whoever's the main person on the show becomes the sort of like the host of the show for a little while. The the quintessential welcome to Monday Night Raw. But he doesn't quite do it like that. And because it's Seth Rollins, he does it all a bit tongue-in-cheek like he knows exactly what he's doing. So I can forgive it. And he does brag about himself, but not before shouting out Jey Uso for pinning Roman Reigns, because that was huge. Shouting out Io Sky and Damian Priest, you know, talking about his future, what's happening at SummerSlam, and... I've got to turn my attention to SummerSlam after my victory and all this type of stuff. Uh, so Cody Rhodes came out to cut him off and everybody, all the Twitter people, all the audience was like, oh my god, they're going to revisit this. Cody's going to get another shot at another title that he hasn't really earned because, you know, the last person he beat up was Dominic Mysterio. And he goes to do the so what do you want to talk about? thing that we all pretend isn't completely obnoxious. It gets cut off by Brock Lesnar's music, and they brawl up the aisle, and I think he gets a Cody cutter on him at some point, because it's even remotely believable that Cody could take down uh, Brock Lesnar. But it is what it is. We sacrifice Brock Lesnar once again to the Cody machine, and it continues to be sad, but it also continues to be predictable, so I don't really know what to say about it. If I'm... If I'm if I'm uh, going to be completely honest with you guys. They're going to fight at SummerSlam. We know that. It's going to be the third of the trilogy, and apparently Cody Rhodes is a hero because he's going to bring back the bull rope match, even though they've never mentioned it on screen. That's fine. Whatever. It's so funny to me, though, because Rollins is out there talking. Cody comes out there to say something. So I'm sure after SummerSlam, he's like, oh, well, uh, I never uh, got to challenge you for the title because I uh, I was cut off by that darn Brock Lesnar, who they're definitely not booking me to bury once again at SummerSlam. And he's going to get a title shot down the line that's going to make me roll my eyes, but that's fine. When Brock Lesnar came, thankfully, to cut him off, Seth Rollins sort of faded into the scenery for a while. So when we came back from commercial break and Seth Rollins was still in the ring, I kind of laughed a little bit because he must be sort of sitting there and saying, Here's two guys that could potentially challenge me for my title. I'm going to stand back and let them kick the shit out of each other, because that can only work well for me. But when we come back, Rollins is still in the ring. He's bragging about beating Finn Balor, and, and uh, it sort of alludes to the the uh, the problems in the Judgment Day. Judgment Day comes out with no Balor, which uh, Seth Rollins is immediately happy to point out, and Ripley 
tries to cover it and it's way too defensive. It's like, you know, don't worry about it. You know, uh, Balor's doing Balor things and Priest talks about how he could cash in his money in the bank any day, but he doesn't want to do it tonight. And um, Ripley, because she has the other, uh, the other, I guess you could say, world title on the show, the women's title looks exactly like a f- women's version of the men's title that's on Rollins' shoulder. And she says, well, I've got a match tonight. I'm a fighting champion. Why don't you be a fighting champion, uh, Seth Rollins? Now, on the one hand, I think, okay, she hasn't defended that title in a bit. But on the other hand, we know behind the scenes that, you know, she's dealing... It's been talked about a lot that Rhea Ripley's dealing with, like, lingering injuries, etc. And I'm really glad that they haven't used that as an excuse to immediately take the belt off of her. That's amazing. But more or less, she she revs uh, Rollins up and says, you know, you want to fight somebody tonight, don't you? And then they, both her and Damian push Dominic into this match with Seth Rollins later on tonight. Now, this is funny because... Rhea Ripley is making reference to the match that she has later on tonight with Natalia, who nobody was really... I don't want to say nobody, because that's really bad. It's a match that they've tried to do a couple of times, and nothing really ever happens. So was, was anybody going into tonight looking forward to Rhea Ripley versus Natalia again? The answer is no. So at this point in the night, when Rhea Ripley says, well, I'm a fighting champion, why don't you be a fighting champion? And her uh, suggestion for Rollins is Dominic... It's almost like a tongue-in-cheek mirror image type thing because, you know, nobody thinks that Dominic Mysterio is going to take the title off of Seth Rollins either. Um, but the match is made. Obviously, Rollins is the fighting champion, etc., etc., etc. And Damian Priest hangs around because he's got a match with Nakamura. Lingering frustrations from the Money in the Bank match, I, I don't know, really. All I can say is it was a hard-hitting match for both guys. Nakamura in this I've decided to give a shit again mode is awesome. Damian Priest, even though even though he's starting to get what he deserves, Damian Priest still feels underappreciated. Um, I don't want to say he's being ziggler because he's definitely not, but he's this guy that's being shown in a constant way, whether you put him in there with Rollins, whether you put him in there with Edge, uh, last time I was uh, in Toronto for Raw, they had Damian Priest versus Edge. That was awesome. Whether you want to put him in, the, in there with a celebrity like the Bad Bunny thing in San Juan, um, he's sort of proven himself on all fronts. Plus, he's done some tag stuff with the Judgment Day as well, and he's he's a great hot tag guy and all that kind of thing. And it's one of those Nakamura makes a hell of a showing of himself in a match that you knew Priest was going to win. And there, there's no problem with that. There's, that's absolutely fine. I hope that they're not going to go back to the weird triangle of of Nakamura, Ricochet, and Bronson Reed. We got another Bronson Reed video this week. We didn't see him in action. I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, The one part that stuck out of this match for me, uh, Priest and uh, and Nakamura are brawling on the outside. There's a falcon arrow onto the edge of the guardrail by Priest. Obviously, um, commentator puts over, commentary, I should say, puts over a lot the fact that Balor's not there, the speculation, the speculation, the speculation, back in the ring, eventually Priest gets the win, it's not, it's not a ringing victory for him in a match where you knew he was going to win anyway, so that's, it is what it is, but Priest coming out there without Balor, who's like his running buddy, and pushing through the speculation and pushing through the issues that his group is having and still scoring himself a singles victory is a cool shot in the arm for Priest. Ronda Rousey comes out after this, after the commercial break, because she had her fallout with Shayna Baszler at the pay-per-view, and when I say fallout, I mean her partner choked her out and cost them the tag team titles. The whole thing doesn't make sense, but also it's got to do with Ronda Rousey's contract being almost up, and if her and Baszler is what they're going to do at SummerSlam, and the last thing she does before she leaves the company is put over her friend, I don't have a problem with that, and the people that do are trying to pull really, really bizarre arguments out of their ass. I don't even know what to say. Ronda Rousey comes out, she doesn't even get a word out, Baszler cuts her off. So it is, like, we had the opening segment where it was Rollins cut off by Cody and Cody couldn't even say a word because he was cut off by Brock. It's the same thing here. Rousey didn't get a word out before Baszler's music hit. So we just don't like MMA people. We don't like UFC people on this show, which is which is fine. It is whatever. Um, Baszler comes out and says, I think I speak for all of us when we when I say we're, t- we're all tired of hearing you try to talk on a microphone. Uh, if you're out here to if you're out here to demand an explanation or an apology from me, I don't owe you anything because you're a narcissist. And then this was a little cliche 
Um, it's something that a lot of like indie wrestlers do where they do the whole, I was, you know, setting up the ring for 30 bucks and a hot dog. And I was just trying to like sign my papers and trying to get a developmental deal. And you walked in and had WrestleMania. I, I buy it a little more only because in the kayfabe of WWE, Ronda Rousey did, or sorry, Shayna Baszler did come in to NXT, wreck everybody, make that division. I'm going to say it again. Her and Rhea Ripley were the main event of the one episode of NXT that actually beat Dynamite. Um, it's not a dig at Dynamite. I'm just saying they are the ones that did it. Um, she did have some star, uh, some star power coming up to the main roster, like genuinely uh, cultivated in, in NXT back when people were allowed to admit that NXT was good. And then she came in and there was a bunch of stumbles. They tag teamed her with Nia Jax. They had her do the weird vampire thing with... Um, with uh, Becky Lynch, uh, she passed through all those shitty gimmicks, and yeah, like she's she got NXT'd positive, she made it to the top of NXT, she came to WWE, she got WWE'd, which is you know a struggle for some people and an, unne an unnecessary, unfair struggle for some people, and got past that, and people know how legit she is, and when she turned on Rousey, she got a huge pop. So she did work to get where she is now, and Ronda Rousey was able to walk in and basically team with Kurt Angle and get introduced by The Rock and go up against, um, you know, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon in her first match or whatever. And I mean, there's... There's two things for that. Shayna Baszler came up and is a wrestler in WWE. Ronda Rousey, while she's awesome, I like Ronda Rousey. She's on the borderline between being a full-time roster superstar and a celebrity participant. She's not quite a Bad Bunny. She's not quite a, a Logan Paul. She's Brock Lesnar in the way that Brock Lesnar is kind of like above the division and all that kind of thing. But all this to say that, you know, the easy road, hard road thing is a cliche for indie wrestlers. Like, like a, jo a Johnny Gargano could say this to a John Cena type of, type of idea. Um, and it is overdone. It is over relied on. In this case, I think it actually works. She says, I'm going to shut you up, um, you know, when I get my hands on you, etc., etc., etc. Great promo from Baszler overall because... It wasn't something that's going to set the world on fire. She wasn't the rock on the mic, but for somebody who, ironically, because of how the, how her promo started, for somebody that has struggled on the mic as much as Ronda Rousey at some point, for her to come off as good as she did here was a huge fucking win. They get into a brawl. Uh, they brawl to the outside. They get back into the ring. Uh, Baszler gets her into an ankle lock, which is awesome. Um kind of a shot because Ronda Rousey herself teamed with Kurt Angle in her first match and she was using the ankle off for a while so for Baszler to get her that was awesome and then a wicked knee strike in the corner to finish the segment is awesome this is I'm sorry I know we've got two champions on the roster and possibly three if the rumors are true uh this is your marquee women's match for SummerSlam like there's a rumor that the NXT Women's and Men's Championships could be defended at SummerSlam. Don't know how that's going to work out just yet. But definitely you're going to have a, a World Women's Championship match, and definitely you're going to have a WWE Women's Championship match. Potentially four women's matches on the card, and the tags. Throw the tags on there as well. Five women's matches. This is the one that needs to be the headline out of those five, at least. And you know what? I know there's a lot of big shit coming for SummerSlam. If you made this the main event of the whole fucking thing, I really wouldn't care. I really wouldn't care. I think it would be awesome. Um, we are in the back. We see another session with the Alpha Academy training Maxine Dupree, where they've renamed her Alpha Queen Maxine, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, what's his name? Chad Gable, comedically, is underrated, even though a lot of people enjoy him, and we will miss him when he's gone. We introduce the new undisputed WWE Women's <laughs> Team Champion. I, I wished they would have uh, they would have come out with both belts. That would have been awesome, but they only won one set of belts from Shayna and Ronda, so we, we missed that opportunity. It's fine. And sort of out of nowhere, we've got a tag team turmoil for the number one contendership for those titles. you got Green and DeVille, which is awesome. You've got Emma and Nikki Cross, which they tried to explain, but let's be real, it is a random team. you got Dana Brooke and Tegan Knox, which is 
fine. Just two happy baby faces make a team. That works enough. And you got Indian Candice, which gets us one step closer to having the way. And I think this is Indy's first match on the main roster, because when she was drafted, she was also injured. So you've got... Oh, and you've got Casey Catanzaro and Katana Chance. So I am a happy, happy guy. But you got Green and DeVille, who have established themselves as a team. Casey Catanzaro, Katana Chance, who are a team. And Indian Candice, who are a tag team, although it was on NXT. And then you've got... Dana Brooke and Tegan Knox, which, as I say, two smiley, happy baby faces decided to make a team. I don't have a problem with that. Emma snagged up Nikki Cross because Nikki Cross wanted to be Candice LeRae's partner, and Candice LeRae had already chosen Indy Hartwell. So, I, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm just going to... This was really short, and there wasn't too much to say. Uh, Sonya Deville and... Chelsea Green defeated Candice and Indy. Nikki looked concerned for Candice on the outside, so even though her and Emma were the next ones up, it was basically uh, DeVille and Green defeating Emma solo because Nikki was distracted. DeVille and Green then defeated Dana and Tegan Knox, which is really sad because I hope they stay on the roster and do something. Um, I can't read my own damn writing. I cannot read my own damn writing. Oh, that's what we did. This is where we go to the good spot. This is where we have... Uh, Casey Catanzaro, uh, sorry, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. Carter's sitting on the top turnbuckle with green on her shoulders. Chance does a springboard Super Frankensteiner off of Caden Carter's shoulders onto the onto the mat below. It was awesome. Uh, didn't get them the win though. I think it was another um, unpretty her and a, and a knee strike from Deville and Green that got uh, got the pin on Casey Catanzaro and Katana Chance, uh, and they ran the gauntlet. And they're the tag team championship number one contenders. Deville and Green are now. This is where, this is where I'm gonna make a comparison. If if you've already listened to my Collision uh, review, you'll you'll know that I talked about the uh, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, they had their Owen tournament final, and Ricky Starks went to do a Tornado DDT off the ropes. He lost his footing twice. He gained his footing twice. I think in a snapshot of a second to mess up that much and recover twice as much is not a bad victory rather than a defeat. Now, they go to do the double splash thing that uh, Katana... Sorry, yeah, Katana Chance and Caden Carter do, and Katana Chance slipped on the rope and fell out of the ring. And people act like this was the worst thing in the world. They act like this was Psycho Sid breaking his shin in the middle of the ring. She slipped. She recovered. They still did the amazing super, super uh, Frankensteiner out of the corner after the recovery. So if you don't like Chance and Carter, just say so. But like that is a tiny botch to uh, to crack down on. As I say, for for levity, for comparison, for unbiasedness. Lay off Ricky Starks for the for the powerhouse Hobbs thing. Lay off the girls here for this and. Obviously, the ultimate example goes to Ricochet and Logan Paul, who could have had a disaster at Money in the Bank and did a masterful job of recovering. So all over the map, we've got people that could have stumbled, recovered, had a, had a victory in recovery, and kept on going. So maybe applaud that, you know. Fall down seven times, get up eight, or whatever the, whatever the expression is. Is. But yeah, DeVille and Green uh, is the story that kind of gets lost in the shuffle here. But DeVille and Green, as doing the whole like Karen duo, the Karen um, concept that they're doing, is fucking phenomenal. And them playing up against, uh, you know, a popular team like Raquel uh, Rodriguez and Liv Morgan, uh, potentially at SummerSlam, I don't know, they haven't confirmed, but yet could be a lot of fun. Could be a lot of fun. Now... Uh, there's rumors that Raquel Rodriguez is going to go back to Raquel Gonzalez. There's rumors that new, different music has already been plucked for her because she's going to turn on Liv Morgan. And I think as much as I would love Liv Morgan to have a singles run, just to have the monster turn heel on the smaller wrestler and and have that be the be the thing, I think is predictable as hell. So I hope they have something better coming along. Becky Lynch comes out, and this was... This was basically in the ring admin. Becky Lynch comes out and she says, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not too happy. I wasn't uh, the winner of Money in the Bank. That's still something I got to check off my bucket list. But I do still have to slap the taste out of those two dopes. I love when she calls people dopes. It's fun. Um, 
Trish Stratus and, and Zoe Stark. Trish Stratus comes out because she got hurt in Money in the Bank and she's got the same face mask that she was wearing when her and Lita were the first women to ever main event Monday Night Raw. And I think that's fucking brilliant. Uh, she comes out healing it up, uh, says she's not cleared to work tonight, but uh, tells the crowd that even with this mask on, she's still hotter than any of them. Um, she says, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take on your little pit bull, Zoe Stark, and uh, that, that'll that have to do for now. Trish Stratus goes on another promo, and it basically ends with, nobody is better than Trish Stratus, where she even gets a side eye from Zoe Stark, which is kind of cool. So Trish decrees that we, we're going to get Zoe Stark representing her versus Becky Lynch next week. And I think all of this is cool because she's deciding when Zoe Stark has a match. She's deciding that Zoe Stark gets lumped into the rest of the world that's not as hot as Trish Stratus. And the, the mask is a great callback. And if her using that mask that she wore in the match with Lita is any indication that Lita is coming back, no, none of them need to be in a title picture right now. But if we get at SummerSlam, Trish Stratus and Zoe Stark versus Lita and Becky Lynch... It's awesome for all of them because it's Trish getting to work with Lita once again. It's Becky getting to work with uh, as a partner to Lita once again. But, I mean, Becky is a star in her own right, and you got two Hall of Famers there. That will do a world of good for Zoe Stark. So I really hope that's the, that's the direction that they go in. And, hey, listen to what I'm saying here right now because nobody in that match has a title either. So if they do that, that would be a sixth women's title match on the card. Mr. Tony Khan could never... Um, Cody comes back out to the stageway of the rampway once again to be interviewed by Jackie Redmond, who's just joined the announced team on Raw. And the only reason I bring this up, really, is to say that uh, WWE has really gotten a lot of their sports ca sportscasters and their backstage interview personnel from Toronto, or at least Toronto-based sports media, because, as you guys know, I watch Sportsnet 360, which used to be called The Score, and who who else was on The Score before they came over to WWE? Oh, there was Mauro Ranallo, there, there was now Jackie Redmond, and oh yeah, Renee Paquette! <laughs> Renee Young, Renee Paquette was also um, Arda Ocal as well, who was here for a hot second. Uh, so a lot of people from Toronto sportscasting showing up in WWE um, backstage segments and whatever. Now, here's what kills me. Oh, we're not there yet. Sorry, I was about to say, here's what kills me, and we can have a good laugh at this. But we got another match in there first, and it was just for fun, and it was just for a breather, and it will not set the world on fire. But it was the Alpha Academy, all three members, Chad, uh, Otis, and Maxine taking on the Viking Raiders and Valhalla. It was a fun match, really, really inessential. The four guys in this match are all, like, athletic as hell. Otis is hysterical. Chad Gable is a fucking machine. The the War Raiders, the Viking Raiders, the Viking Experience, whatever you want to call them these days, are tremendous big guys. Valhalla is good for what she, she is, too. I know people hate Sarah Logan, Sarah Rowe, whatever, because politically she doesn't believe things that, uh, the you know, they have. she doesn't believe with the decided opinions that everybody's supposed to have online, so therefore she shouldn't have a job. And if you think that, you're weird, and you're part of the problem. And you got Maxine, who, I don't know what her wrestling experience is in real life, but in the kayfabe of this, she's learning how to wrestle from the Alpha Academy, so she's playing a new person. So for her to get the win over Valhalla was really cool. I hope that Valhalla gets herself a feud at some point. This was inessential. Even if this was terrible, it wouldn't have affected the, 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 the what do you want to say, the flow of the show, because it was there to be there. It was breather between two different things. And it served that purpose, and Maxine Dupree is over. To see her in her own Alpha Academy outfit doing the a thank you is, is good, and it gets a pop. The crowd loves the Alpha Academy, and, and we move on. Rhea Ripley versus Natalia for the Women's World title, which I, funny enough, I'm just looking at my notes right now, wrote down as the World World title. Because I'm smart. Nobody thought that this was going to be anything. Maybe another beatdown, maybe another sneak attack by Rhea Ripley. Maybe the match doesn't even happen again. But instead, we got a sneak attack by Natty, who's showing a bit of her claws and whatever. She gets a fair bit of offense in on Ripley before they even get to the ring. Ripley gets her bearings again. And they beat the absolute shit out of each other 
for a long time. There was a lot of kickouts. There was a lot of near falls. There was a fair bit of submission wrestling in here. Um, Rhea Ripley at one point got her face busted open. Uh, something on the inside. She, she said on social media that she busted a piercing. So unless she had a piercing in her mouth that I wouldn't know about because I don't live in her mouth that doesn't make any sense but she had a bloody mouth is my point and i think she's the kind of wrestler that knows oh shit my mouth is bleeding but also that's going to look really cool on camera so she played up to that a little bit eventually i should say uh the big the biggest the biggest uh achievement of this match other than showing that natalia can still go when they give her a chance and that rhea ripley can go with people with other people that are going hope that makes sense um the biggest thing for me was this match overcame the moniker that everybody put on it of, oh, they're doing that again, who cares? Because as soon as people don't care anymore, it's really hard to get them back. And I don't want to not care about anything in the Rhea Ripley title reign. Let me put that out there right now, because I think she's fucking phenomenal. They're going to have her feud with Raquel Rodriguez soon, I think. And that's just because she's big. And that sounds mean when I say it, but it's true. Ripley gets the win. There's a post-match assault that gets stopped by the tag team champions. <sighs> Judgment Day can't help Ripley win. They shouldn't, because she's a monster. Don't get me wrong. But you're never going to get a heel, oh my god, we got to save the baby face from the numbers game, because as far as the females in the Judgment Day, Ripley's on her own. Now, if they were to recruit somebody and turn them like a Nikki Cross or a Shotzi Blackheart or something like that, that would be really cool. But for right now, you're never gonna you're never really gonna have a babyface victim that's at a numbers advantage because it's just Ripley. But so uh, so for the post match assault for them to be for her to be saved and, and warded off by the current tag team champions of Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, it's sort of uh, the baby faces are getting the numbers advantage thing, which doesn't always work, but it does work in the sense of portraying the idea that Rhea Ripley is a fucking monster. And I'm sorry, coming out of this match, when she finally managed to pull off the Riptide, and pulled off the fact that she struggled to do the Riptide because she'd been in a battle with Natalia, this all worked. This all worked. I... I... <sighs> I feel bad because I think this match is going to be in isolation, and in a week or so we're going to go back to, oh, it's Natalia, why should I give a shit? If they don't do something with Natalia to build on what they achieved here this week on Raw, that's a huge failure on their part. But this, I mean, to say it surpassed expectations doesn't even cover it, because this match had no expectations. And it was just really, really good. Uh, we get the announcement that uh, Miz is going to be facing Tommaso Ciampa one more time in a no disqualification match next week. They they went back to one thing that Ch Tommaso Ciampa did in NXT that I really like, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really hugely matter, but when he did the um, straight down the camera promos in NXT, he was always sitting backwards on the metal chair, just sitting outside uh, where the loading docks are. So he always had that graded door behind him like that was his spot that was like his little corner of the arena where he went to speak rather than being in a in an interview space or being called back out to the ring by an interviewer like that was his thing and i think they got a little bit of that feeling back which is important because you want to get back the old image of of nxt Tommaso Ciampa, you don't want what we had for a little while there, which was this day-glow, neon Tommaso Ciampa teaming up with The Miz that made no sense at all. So, we have Candice back working with Indy once more. We've got Gargano, who's somewhere, and we've got Tommaso Ciampa, who's getting back to his NXT roots. Throw in Dexter, and you, you've got this this year's version of The Way. You're not going to have the original The Way because Austin Theory is not only on a different show and not only already a champion, but he's a heel and they would all be baby faces. So we'll take him out. We'll put in Dexter and Ciampa instead and it'll be, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I know a lot of people don't like Dexter either. That's your loss. I don't know what to tell you. Um, we replay highlights, even though it's raw, we replay highlights from the... Bloodline Civil War, we make the official announcement after the announcement was already made on social media that the Usos are going to put Roman Reigns on trial on SmackDown. Quick match that I didn't really give too much of a shit about was Riddle versus Vinci. Riddle wins, gets beaten up by Imperium after the fact, which is just a platform to bring Drew McIntyre back out and have Drew McIntyre stare down Walter. Now, 
We're not getting Drew McIntyre versus Walter just yet. We are getting Drew McIntyre teaming with Riddle for reasons against Imperium next week, I think. I think. I think that's right. That's on a different page of my notes. I'm not going to lie to you right now. Um, so it's Drew teaming up with Riddle to take on the two members of Imperium that aren't Gunther on his way to facing Gunther for that championship. Probably at SummerSlam. Let's be real. Uh, SummerSlam, if you listen to me, uh, every time I every time I mention SummerSlam, they have not confirmed any matches yet for SummerSlam, uh, as far as I can tell. But if you listen to all the probablys, if you listen to all the probablys, like the the Baszler versus Rousey, the uh, I don't know Roman versus Jay, which we're going to talk about later on. If you look at what's going on in the women's championship uh, and the men's championship, and you know maybe Gunther versus Drew, and obviously we're going to get Cody and Lesnar again for reasons. Um, SummerSlam's already looking good, and they haven't even confirmed a single match yet, but a big part of that SummerSlam card will be Drew McIntyre versus Gunther. I'd put money on it. I would put money on it. And then you got, in the main event, you got Dom versus Seth, which the match itself didn't really matter. It was very much a storytelling what's going to happen type of match. Cody Rhodes had stare-downs with Priest and had stare-downs with Ripley, which again teases the thing that I want to see that I don't think I'm ever going to see, and that's Rhea Ripley hitting the Riptide on Cody Rhodes. I really want to see it. Give me that tag team match. I mean, injure Dominic somehow so that Rhea Ripley can't team with Dominic. And instead, you have Cody and Brandy Rhodes, who everybody's hyped to see for some reason that probably has to do with identity politics. Cody and Brandy Rhodes taking on Rhea Ripley and Brock Lesnar. Give me that. Give me an F5 on Brandy Rhodes and give me a Riptide on Cody Rhodes. That would make my fucking life. We could just stop wrestling at that point because it will have peaked. Um... The match goes on, the match goes on, the match goes on, and it is what we think it is. It's Seth owning Dominic, for the most part. Priest comes in, eventually hits the South of Heaven on Rollins for the DQ. There's a post-match assault, and Dominic and Rhea Ripley both encourage Damian Priest to do his cash-in, to do his cash-in. He's almost getting ready to do his cash-in, but then... The forgotten son, the, the prodigal son of the Judgment Day comes out, and Balor, and Balor puts an attack on Rollins, and Rollins fucks off. Rollins fucks off, but he hits a pedigree on Dominic on his way out on the floor, which killed me. The, com the comedic value of the pedigree, like, I'm leaving, but still, Dom, fuck you. Um, Balor attacks, uh, sorry. Balor attacks Rollins, Rollins, which causes Rollins and Priest to argue. I don't know why Balor adding to the double team of of Rollins couldn't have just also meant a cash in, but be that as it may, there's a pedigree on Dom, Rollins fucks off, and we end on this really, really like well-framed image of Dom on the floor, Ripley catering to him and making sure that he's okay, and on either side of them is Priest and Balor arguing and, and taking the piss out of each other. So, there's problems in the Judgment Day, and here, here is where I have a problem. Like, all of it's awesome, but I wish it wasn't happening, and that's typical me being a hypocrite, I understand that. There has always been, or sorry, in the, since the good days of WWE have taken over, there's always been two major forces in WWE. And no, they're not Brock Lesnar and they're not Cody Rhodes. Fuck off. It's been the Bloodline and it's been the Judgment Day. But Bloodline went on longer. Bloodline was more serious. Bloodline encompassed more people, encompassed more pay-per-views, encompassed more main events. But you had the Bloodline on SmackDown, but realistically happening on both shows. And then you had the Judgment Day happening just in the background. We're breaking down the bloodline now, and we're missing a window where the Judgment Day could truly, truly be on top once the bloodline's gone, if we decide to break up the Judgment Day as well. Now, if this is a matter of one or the other of them leaving, somebody else coming in, like a J.D. McDonough, I'm sorry, I know people don't want to hear it, um, then that could be a thing. But if we kill both groups at once before, you know, they were sort of like 1 and 1A, one if we don't let the 1A ever become the 1, I think there's a missed opportunity there. I think having Finn Balor or Damian Priest or Rhea Ripley be the one that marches onto both shows and just says, I can do this because we run this shit, which is what the Bloodline did up to and including WrestleMania, I think you're missing a huge, huge opportunity there. 
but I can't complain too much because the way they're coming to it and the way they're coming around to it and everybody involved are all doing fucking fantastic. So, once again, Spaz is hard to please. Spaz is a cranky asshole. Everything's good. I just would do it slightly differently. It's, um... It's kind of like grading a Jordan Peele movie. Jordan Peele makes really good movies. The cinematography is great. He chooses horror, which is right up my wheelhouse. But every single moral message he puts out there is shit. So he puts out a shit message, but I will admit that he's good at it. WWE are doing a really good thing with the Judgment Day right now. I just wish they were doing something else. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to take a breather. There's going to be a jump cut here before we talk about SmackDown. I will talk to you in probably less than a second in all reality. Now, before we get into SmackDown, I want to touch on NXT really quickly, because I watched NXT towards the tail end of the week. I didn't watch the whole show. I won't be uh, I won't be lying to you guys like that. But I did watch the things that were worth talking about. Number one was NXT Underground. Now, people scoffed when they said that they were going to, uh, to bring this back. Um, when they said they were going to bring Raw Underground to NXT, that was the first stupid thing, like the branding had to be something. Then they finally said, no, we're going to call it NXT Underground. It's not going to be exactly the same. When they showed all the Raw Underground clips, they had to edit out Shane McMahon, which was hysterical. And, I mean, for the most part, the uh, the Raw Underground thing was just one more thing that they tried to do in that era to try and get people that weren't doing anything anywhere else some time on the show. This one, however, was a lot of fun, and there was a lot of throwing around, and the no the no ropes aspect, and all the other wrestlers around the ring cheering people on, and whatever, and Damon Kemp getting thrown around like an empty tracksuit, even though he was the bigger guy in the ring, was awesome, and to the point where I hope they do it again. I hope they do it with some top-tier talent. I hope they put, and this is going to sound funny, but I hope they put some high flyers in the NXT Underground concept because to take people that mostly are known for their aerial and forcibly ground them and force them to change their game and see how they react to that would be a really, really cool experiment. But hats off to everybody involved. I thought the fact that they lowered down... They didn't put it down in the basement. It was in the same ring where they do NXT. They just took the the, uh, the ropes down. They lowered the lights. They gave it a fight club kind of feel. And uh, the one thing... This is, this is a thing that I've, I've talked about for a while now. Little, tiny, visual things make the difference. The mat was black. And that, do, that shouldn't matter at all, but the old aesthetic of the old NXT, and I mean the NXT that was in full sale, the NXT that gave us takeovers and all that kind of thing. You had the yellow ropes and the black ring, not the bright white or gray mat that most WWE shows have to date. The black ring canvas was a really cool throwback, having having nothing to do with the type of match that it was, just to see NXT stars with uh, broadly an NXT logo in the background and to have the black mat was something, <coughs> excuse me, something that I really do think they need to bring back. Uh, if you ask me, people, nobody are, nobody is asking me, but those are the small little aesthetic things. Like when they, when they switched it to NXT 2.0, they didn't have NXT turnbuckle pads on the turnbuckles anymore. They were just WWE ones and they've been WWE ones ever since. NXT having NXT turnbuckles, having the bright yellow ropes and the dark black mat was the aesthetic of the old NXT. And when they went from NXT 2.0 to whatever this NXT that we're calling it now is, it wasn't a step back enough. And the black mat, and watching this uh, this past week, the black mat was important to that. And I don't think anybody's going to care about that other than me, but I thought I'd stick that out there. Also, yeah, the dyad versus the Creeds in a match that Joe Gacy set up where the losing team would have to leave NXT. Now, everybody thought that it was going to be the Dyad or the Grizzled Young Veterans uh, as they were before that because apparently they've been asking for their release. But they didn't. And they won and there was a mystery person in one of the, like, one of the schism purge masks. Sorry, the schism helping the Dyad. Um, somebody came out in a mask, there was a headbutt, and, and uh, the Creed's lost. Now, this could be a bait-and-switch, there could be a rematch, and the Dyad could leave, and it could be, turn out that they actually get the release that they're looking for. I don't want that. I think they're a great team. The, po the more positive option is maybe they're throwing the Creed's up on the main roster. Now, 
setting aside what we're going to talk about with Jey Uso in a second, the Usos versus the Creeds would be fucking fantastic. But right now you've got Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens with those tag team titles, and I'm not going to lie, the Creeds versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens would be good. The um, Ivy Nile, who has been with the Creed brothers in the, in the Diamond Mine, and Diamond Mine has changed about as often as I change my socks, but... Um, they said firmly on NXT that if they lost and went to the main roster that she wouldn't be going with them because she's going to stay behind and face Tiffany Stratton, apparently. Which is awesome. I like Tiffany Stratton. Don't get me wrong. And I like Ivy Nile and I would love to see that match. And hey, if the rumor is that they're going to put one or two NXT title matches on SummerSlam, give me Ivy Nile versus Tiffany Stratton at SummerSlam. Give them 10 minutes. Let the, uh, let the mainstream audience see what the NXT ladies can do. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But Ivy Nile and the Creeds together as a package are awesome, so if they're going to the main roster and she's staying, that's going to kind of suck. It's going to be like when Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy went up and they had to leave Carmella behind, or when four, three of the four horsewomen went up and Bailey stayed behind. It's uh, It'll be an interesting choice, but I am pretty damn excited about the the potential of the Creeds coming to the main roster. And like I say, the downside option of that is they do some fuckery, they do a rematch in the dyad, or actually legitimately leaving the company, which would suck. Um, if the dyad leave Joe Gacy and all them, Joe Gacy as a solo act, or Joe Gacy with um, Ava in, in his corner, is going to have to turn into a different kind of act, because he's going to have to be a weirdo asshole without backup anymore, so that'll also be something to look at as well. The crossovers between NXT and the main roster are continuing. Uh, Baron Corbin did a promo where he was burning all of his old gimmicks. He was burning the King uh, the King Corbin gimmick, and he was burning the lone wolf head, and he was burning the shirt when he was from when he was poor. I don't know why you would keep that one, but it's fine. He's burning the, the vest that he wore when he was Commissioner Corbin, and he's going to be like, no more gimmicks, it's time for me to just kick ass. And somebody pointed it out on What Culture, and I hate to admit it, but I think it was actually Michael Sidgwick, and it was actually a good point. It's like, it's fine to say, okay, I'm going to shed all these shitty gimmicks, and you're just going to get me, and I'm just going to go in there and kick some ass. But at the end of the day, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm the no gimmick guy, is still kind of a gimmick. <laughs> um, I hope so, because another guy in, in the category of of Ziggler and a few others that goes monstrously underappreciated, uh, The Miz as well, is Baron Corbin. And if he if they're able to revamp him and rebuild him, I mean, Finn Balor kind of went flat on the main roster and revitalized himself in NXT and went back up. But that was the magic of the old NXT, so we'll see. Mustafa Ali is still down there mixing it up with uh, Tyler Bate and Wesley, which is fine. And the latest uh, integration into NXT, speaking of Finn Balor, is the Judgment Day, and the Judgment Day have been called out, I think, for a tag team match by Trick and Mello. So I think what we're going to get is Trick and Mello versus Finn Balor and Damian Priest at some point, because Mello also happened to mention uh, Damian Priest's, uh, what do you call it, Money in the Bank contract, which is fine, but... <sighs> Are they going to... The only time a winner of something that would have gotten you a title match chose an NXT title was when Charlotte Flair won the Rumble and then had to face Rhea Ripley for the NXT Championship at the funeral WrestleMania in the Performance Center. So I don't think we want to have reverberations of that, but he could come down and tease. He could show up on SmackDown and tease and just be like, hey, I have the briefcase. I could do anything. Like... After all the stuff that Rhea Ripley did on Raw, I didn't mention this while I was talking about Raw, Io Shirai did show up very briefly in the back and just hold up her briefcase and kind of laugh and, you know, hey, I'm, I'm here too, that kind of thing. So Damian Priest, I guess, kind of by default has to do that at some point. You're like, hey, you know, you know who has to watch out for me? Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Carmelo Hayes. <laughs> I mean, it would bug everybody, like... Austin uh, was it Austin Theory cashed in for the U.S. title and won. And everybody thought that would stupid. I think it would be. I think it would actually absolutely blow everybody's mind if Damian Priest came down to NXT and cashed in on Wesley for the North American Championship. I think that would be amazing. I think it would be stupid. Don't get me wrong, but I think it would be amazing to watch Twitter eat itself. And oh, by the way, let's talk about how people are so offended on Twitter that other people are allowed to speak now that Meta had to go and make their own Twitter. 
Find me on threads at Smash Phoenix. Moving swiftly on to SmackDown. And not only SmackDown, SmackDown at Madison Square Garden. And let's be real, this is the Bloodline show with a couple other things on it. Uh, mostly advertised for the tribal trial of the tribal chief Roman Reigns, or whatever mouthful of way that they chose to advertise it. So the Usos come out first, they announce that it is the trial of Roman Reigns. Heyman comes out with Solo, and immediately I thought, as soon as he said, I'm here to act as defense for the tribal chief, I thought, like, is Roman not here? Are they going to do the whole court thing where he's going to be tried in absentia? Because that would be really funny. Um... He's the defense counsel. Immediately, the crowd chanting, you got pinned, you got pinned. I know it's supposed to have the same effect as when somebody submits at a, at a big pay-per-view and the crowd immediately chants at them, you tapped out. Because you tapped out means you actually gave up. You got pinned as cool as it was in this segment, and it went throughout the segment. Uh, it doesn't have the same punch. Maybe that's just me being picky. Maybe that's just me being picky. Could just be me. You can tell me down in the box below if it's just me. Um, the Usos tells, uh, tell Paul Heyman to shut up. Paul Heyman tells them that no, only the tribal chief can tell him to shut up. And then Solo grabs the microphone from him and chucks it out of the ring to wait for Roman Reigns. Um, Roman comes down, eventually he gets the big long entrance, everybody gets to, you know, see the big Roman Reigns entrance. He got, you got pinned, you got pinned, you got pinned. And he says, yeah, I got pinned, but guess what, I'm still the Tribal Chief. And the same people that were yelling at him a second ago started chanting Tribal Chief. So everybody's just happy to be along for the ride, which is awesome. And he says, I am still the Tribal Chief, I am still the champion, I am still your Tribal Chief. You ain't the Tribal Chief yet, looking specifically at Jay. Why is this court? Why am I here? Who has the power, who in this ring has the power to put me on trial? The Usos then throw to Exhibit A, because we really are going back to how, uh, how it was with the trial of Sami Zayn. And it's just, it's this big, long video package. W say it with me, say it loud, say it proud. WWE and NXT are really good at video packages. Every little bit of gaslighting piece of shit Roman has inflicted on all of them, including Solo, which I thought was a really cool touch. When the video was over, the chant was, you fucked up, and Roman said, no, I didn't, and the chant turned into, yes, you did. So the crowd in MSG, which was apparently sold out, I don't have that confirmed off the top of my head, but I believe it because we saw a lot of really nice from the back of the building crowd shots that I'm sorry AEW can't do right now. Um... But they were up for all of this. They were up for this to be a two-part conversation between the performers and the audience. And I thought that was really, really awesome. And he says, all that, Sarah, all that video, that wasn't me. I did all that for you. I was a mania mentor, ma yeah, mania main eventer way before the bloodline. You guys needed me. You guys just main evented WrestleMania because of me. I don't need this. I don't even want this. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Drops the microphone rips off his belt, tosses his belt away, the brand new weird looking gold belt, while Paul Heyman still holds the other two, which is fucking awesome. He puts the lay on Jimmy Uso, and he falls down to a knee in front of Jimmy Uso, puts the lay on him, falls to a knee, the whole thing, and he goes to goes to embrace him like, he, like he's given up, like he's walking away. It's sort of a half, like, if he was telling the truth, and we'll get to that in a second, if he was telling the truth, it's half a sad like, I just give up, and half uh, an arrogant, I don't need this anymore, was the act that he was trying to pull off, but he, he sort of in, embraces him, and whatever, and he's he's even crying, Roman Reigns crying on live TV was, was a trip, but then immediately, from that lower position, it comes up with a low blow, they all attack each other, Solo pulls off, uh, Jay gets tossed out, Jimmy gets tossed out, the lay is in the middle of the ring, and Solo takes a good-ass long look at the lay standing in the middle of the ring, because maybe he should be the tribal chief. Jimmy tries to get back in. He gets a spike. Jay attacks Roman and Solo. Solo gets him with the spike. Jimmy gets hung up in the ropes. Jay gets beat down. Jay has to watch them beat the hell out of Jimmy, and then he gets splashed through the commentator's table. When we come back from commercial break, Jimmy Uso is getting wheeled into an ambulance because he's got a neck brace on, and he's all bound up and whatever. Jay goes with him to the emergency medical facility or whatever the WWE terminology is and that's the end that I didn't put a clock on it because I was watching it late but I'm pretty sure that took up the first 45 minutes of a two-hour show all of it's awesome all of it's great all of its mind games all of it the the video packaging and watching 
like I say, there's two sides because there's Roman and Solo on, and uh, Paul Heyman on one side, and there's Jimmy and Jay on the other side. But there's four, like I said, like I said during the match at, at the Money in the Bank, there's four different reactions. Even when Jay got the win, even when Jay got the win at Money in the Bank, his team, like him with his brother, they were the winners. And Jay had this look of absolute euphoria on, and I got that monkey off my back, and I'm, I'm victorious, and I'm elated, and whatever. And Jimmy was almost collapsed in the corner. Still happy that they had won, but also my like that. Oh my God! How did our family come to this? Look on his face. So it's not just two sides; it's four individuals that are that are that are playing this chess game here. And it's really really good. And we're going to talk about where it goes when it gets there. But we do have some other stuff to take care of. We do have Sheamus versus Austin Theory for the United States Championship on the books. Sheamus kicks ass in the first half. Theory is made to look very much like that Miz esque character who talks a lot of shit and gets his ass kicked. He tries for the ten beats of the Baron on the outside on Sheamus and fails miserably. Theory does get pissed off in the second half and ha start handing it a bit to Sheamus. He gets uh, Sheamus gets him in the cloverleaf at one point, but pretty deadly. Who are Austin Theory's new you know running mates? They come down for the distraction. The brutes come down to to neutralize them. In the in the fure, there is a roll up with the tights and Theory gets the win. This is going to be another trios match later on down the line. I like the brawling brutes. It's sort of sad that uh, Butch didn't win. At Money in the Bank. He got a couple good spots in the Money in the Bank ladder match, don't get me wrong. But for me, being a big fan of Pete Dunne as I am, to have him have that one moment to shine and then fall back into line as like one of Sheamus's sidekicks is a little bit of a bummer. That's not a dig at Sheamus. It's just I really, really want to see more for my boy. Honestly, out of the Brawling Brutes, if somebody is going to dethrone uh, if somebody's going to dethrone Austin Theory, I wish it was Pete Dunne. And I wish it was Pete Dunne with his fucking name back because the Butch thing still still bugs me. Um, Ridge Holland is apparently totally healed now from the massive neck injury that he got from Solo Sokoa a couple weeks ago. So that's that's good for him. He gave somebody a neck injury, and his neck injury's gone. His neck injury is gone in two weeks. And that's not a dig at anybody. I'm not making fun of anybody. Just keeping uh, Big E in everybody's mind. Apparently he's been getting better and better news recently, listening to a What Culture video the other day, and it was one of those, this is not a he's coming back announcement, but a basically like a things are going well announcement, and uh, when he was asked about his day-to-day -day life, he said he feels like somebody that never even broke his neck. And I mean, that's the bare minimum you could ask for. I would love him to come back. Um, obviously, if he's ready, not if it means he's going to hurt himself. It's the same thing as Randy Orton, when people were speculating about Randy Orton coming back at Money in the Bank. Uh, there was a big speculation that he might come to back up Drew McIntyre, which would be... Not back up Drew McIntyre, to back up... Uh, names. My brain has fallen out of my head. Matt Riddle. Which would have been cool. And again, Randy Orton, I'm a big advocate for Randy Orton. Uh, I could be the Paul Heyman of the YWC. No, I absolutely could not. But again, it's one of those, when you hear about all the things that were wrong with his back, only come back if you are 110%. Now, that being said, we know that there is a tag team match coming up this week on Raw between Imperium, Drew McIntyre, and Matt Riddle. Now, if this leads us to Drew McIntyre getting a title shot at SummerSlam, but that leads to interference from the rest of Imperium, and Matt Riddle has to run down and even the odds, and they're still getting beaten down three on two, and the one who comes out to even the odds to make it three on three again is a returning Randy Orton, and we get that trios match later on down the line, that would be a huge, fantastic SummerSlam moment because people are betting. People are betting with the with the big news. Uh, what was it last year or the year before? Being the return of Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky uh, to form Damage Control. What are they going to do at this year's SummerSlam? Randy Orton would be a really cool thing to do. It really would, but only if he can and only if he's ready. My camera is flashing something at me at the moment, so you guys are going to have to give me one second. Another jump cut. Here we go, and we're back. Yes. So, before my camera went to shit, I was saying, yes, I would love to see a trios match later on down the line. Imperium taking on Matt Riddle and Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, but again, only if he's good to go. Next up, we had what, was, what else was advertised for tonight, which was Edge on the Grayson Waller effect. <laughs> now, I should say, before we went into this, throughout the night, they had a whole bunch of video pictorials of the history of WWE in Madison Square Garden, all the all the big pay-per-views, all the big moments, all the Hogan moments, and all the different Raw and SmackDown and, and pay-per-view moments that had happened. 
at Madison Square Garden, the return of Triple H after the injury when he made that first return that everybody knows and remembers if you were watching at the time. Very, very cool thing. And like I said, Madison Square Garden looked absolutely awesome. He, Grayson Waller comes out for the Grayson Waller effect and he says he's got a met, uh, yeah, I can speak, I swear. It's late in the day, guys. I'm really sorry. He has a guest out here to make a huge announcement. His guest is the Rated R Superstar Edge, who comes out and talks about his 25-year career, 25-year career anniversary here in, in uh, New York. And he's celebrating here in New York, and next month he will be celebrating in Toronto. I'll be there. So I really hope that's not going to be his retirement match. Um, but he said his history in New York started at the 1998 SummerSlam, where he was the surprise partner for Sable versus Mark Merrow and Jackie. Now, apparently this got him in a lot of trouble because he broke the major rule because you're not supposed to talk about Sable on TV. I don't know how true that is. Somebody can put it down in the box below. Waller uh, sees Edge getting this great reaction from the, from the Madison Square Garden crowd and cuts it off and says, okay, yeah, you know, basically just get to the point. This is a big, huge moment. Edge is here to announce his retirement. And Edge kind of looks at him, like, perplexed, like, not even pissed off, just, like, disappointed big brother, disappointed dad. And he's like, sorry, what are you doing? Last week at this time, you were in the, standing in the center of the O2 Arena with John Cena. Tonight, you're sitting in the, cen in the center of Madison Square Garden with a Hall of Famer like myself. Clearly, somebody sees something in you. They've got the machine behind you. But you've only been here for a hiccup, and you didn't let me finish my statement. I'm nowhere near retirement. In fact, I'm having a match tonight, and I'm having a match against Grayson Waller. Like, fucking great. First of all, love Edge. Loves getting to see Edge wrestle. Also, very, very cool. I said it in the Money in the Bank review. Like, the fact that he was bumping and weaving with John Cena meant that his leg was cleared, which means we were going to get the debut of Grayson Waller on the main roster, like we got the debut of Indy Hartwell on Raw. Really, really cool. So we know we're, later on tonight, at some point, we're going to get Edge versus Grayson Waller, which is fucking fantastic. AJ Styles versus Karrion Cross with Meechin in Styles' corner and Scarlett in Karrion Cross's corner. People keep shitting on this combination. It never gets up off the ground properly. And it didn't get off the, up off the ground properly tonight either because apparently Karrion Cross is Karrion, ha ha ha, an injury because he came out, his one leg was all taped up. They even mentioned it on commentary. Um, he mauls AJ Styles in the early going, hits him with the hidden blade, and the uh, Styles comes back with a uh, Pele and a forearm, and Meechin and Scarborough, eh, Meechin and Scarlet Brawl. I almost said Meechin and Scarborough because my writing is terrible. Meechin and Scarlet Brawl on the outside. Phenomenal forearm and AJ Styles gets the win. This was a nothing match that took no time and I'm thinking that that was just to stir up a bit of trouble between the four of them and to get over the fact that Karrion Cross is carrying whatever injury he is in his leg. I... I get that some people aren't into this match, and we're going to get this match properly at some point, but don't be the weirdos on Twitter that are glad that one of them was injured so the match was short, because that's, that's, that's not it. Next up, we had... Oh, my God. We had to replay, once again, Bianca Belair ruining the Oscar versus Charlotte match from last week on SmackDown. I called that, and it's like... Uh, Bianca Belair's just a mosquito that won't go away and there's so many more better options for opponents for Asuka and I just, I can't Asuka came out, bragged about beating Charlotte Flair last week basically saying Charlotte wasn't ready for Asuka even though the match ended because of Bianca Belair, but Belair comes out to cut her off and is like, why? I'm just thinking why? Why? Why are you Bianca Belair? Why? But, much like Cody got cut off much like Ronda Rousey got cut off on Raw, before Belair can say or do anything, she's jumped by Charlotte Flair. Uh, Io and Bailey also rush the ring. Io tries to cash in on her after Bailey attacks her with the rose plant. Belair attacks Bailey. Charlotte attacks Io. Asuka escapes up the ramp with her title belt, looking down at all these people that want to challenge her. And I'm sorry, Asuka versus Bailey. Asuka versus Io Sky. Asuka versus Charlotte. Asuka versus maybe somebody on that roster that hasn't been handed a hundred title shots. Those are all the people that should be in that title picture ahead of Bianca Belair, because Bianca Belair is a one-note annoying-ass character that needs to fuck off. That's all I got. 
Edge versus Waller, really, really fun match. Edge being like the old grizzled veteran, as opposed to the grizzled young veterans that I was talking about earlier. Hey, all I can really say, it was a really fun match. Edge, Edge does what Edge does to go in there and, you know, be the be the wily veteran in the first half and then have the match catch up with him in the second half. Edge gets the win uh, with a spear eventually. Grayson Waller looks like a million bucks. Doesn't look overwhelmed by the situation. And I will say, I know there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of criticism that goes Austin Theory's way, and some of it is warranted when he gets in there with somebody like an Edge or somebody like a John Cena or, you know, if he was ever in the ring at the same time with Roman Reigns or anybody like that. There are occasional times, and it's getting a lot better, but occasional times where Austin Theory does look overwhelmed in the moment. I've seen moments like that with The Miz, and The Miz has been around for how long? Grayson Waller. This is his first match on the main roster, and he's doing it with a bajillion-time champion Hall of Famer like Edge, who's just generally loved at this point for his uh, for his comeback story, and he didn't look a beat out of place. And I know there's people out there that are going to be watching him that this is the first Grayson Waller match they've ever seen. Why should I care? This is a brand new character to me, and whatever. And that's cool. That's entirely cool. That's an entirely valid point, but for me, who did get to see him in NXT, who did get to see him go from sort of like this whatever character to sort of fine-tune it to this, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like, influencer gimmick that he does on on the show, uh, this over-the-top Australian, like, I'm an Aussie and you're all gonna love me because I'm an Aussie, I shouldn't do accents, I'm sorry. The, like, he stepped up to the plate here, to the point where even Edge after the match, and yes, yes, it's scripted to a certain degree, and yes, this was the whole point of this match happening in the first place, but one of the things that Edge had said to him in uh, in the promo ahead of time is, like, you know, bef before you before you uh, swim out into the deep water, recognize you've only been there for a hiccup, and then after the match, he grabs a microphone and says, hey, Grayson Waller, congratulations, tonight you swam. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And not only, I mean, Waller didn't say anything after that, but metaphorically thro throwing the microphone to him like he was tossing him the torch a little bit. I think that's really cool. <coughs> that's why, if you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble, that's one of the pictures that's in the thumbnail, because I thought that was really cool. Don't want to overstate it. This is not the moment that made Grayson Waller's career, but it's a pretty damn good start. It's pretty damn close to John Cena debuting against Kurt Angle and then getting a handshake from The Undertaker backstage. Because Undertaker back then, Edge now, I mean, people think high, more highly of Edge now than they do of The Undertaker. So take that as it is. I think it was a pretty cool thing. And at the end of the night, right before the last commercial break, we see Paul Heyman coming into Roman Reigns' change room to say, hey, just so you know, somebody just told me Jay's back in the building and he's looking for you. And he says, well, you know... I won't be hard to find. You tell him I'ma be in my ring. And he comes back out, and before he can really say anything, he tries to do the acknowledge me thing for the second time in one night, which is just the right amount of obnoxious, but also self-conscious. <laughs> like, he needs that acknowledgement now more than ever. Literally, Jey Uso comes out through the crowd, which was a key point, takes out both of them. They brawl, they brawl, um... Something ha this this happens that happens he tosses one of them out so we can focus on the other one until eventually they retreat up the ramp, and you finally see the real end to the story. And yes, I'm gonna beat this over the head like a drum. The real end of the story is Jay Uso picking up that title, holding it over his head, and he doesn't lay out a challenge. He grabs a microphone and says, "You know, uh, you came after my brother." Now, it, now it's got to be like this. Now I got to get you. You better accept my challenge. So it's sort of like I'm challenging you, and you better accept the challenge, because if you don't accept the challenge, what comes next will be worse, which is awesome. He didn't, he didn't say, I would like to fight you at SummerSlam. He said, I am challenging you. Me, Jay, challenging you, Roman. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a title involved. Yeah, there's going to be a ring involved. Yeah, it's probably going to be at SummerSlam. Let's be real for a second. But this is not about me putting down my name on a contract because I'd like to get my hands on that title belt. This is about me taking you out because you and my brother just took my other brother out. I think this is phenomenal. The sight at the end of SmackDown of Jey Uso holding up that belt, it makes me terrified that they're not actually going to have the balls to do it because they're afraid that the Cody Rhodes fans are going to burn down Twitter. But 
the sight of, of Jey Uso holding up that belt at the end of things should be a preview of what happens at SummerSlam because Jey Uso should end the bloodline because the bloodline, say it with me one more time, is the Jey Uso story. Oh yes. That's a lot. We've talked about a lot, and I've done a whole lot of jump cuts in this episode. I'm really sorry about that, but tell me what you think of everything. Tell me what you think about the NXT integration, the Shayna and Ronda stuff, the bloodline continuing to fall apart, the Judgment Day starting to fall apart. They're trying to have a women's tag team division. Isn't that cute? Uh, a lot of people are surrounding Asuka for her title right now. Rhea Ripley just had a banger with Natalia Neidhart in 2023. We are approaching SummerSlam. There's a lot of cool things happening. Tell me what you want to see. Tell me what you don't want to see. Tell me what you predict. Tell me anything you think about anything we're talking about right now down in the box below. I'm losing my voice. It's late in the day. I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I'll talk to you. Never last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging you. Bye.